Hello and good day, beautiful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet that you're doing tremendous and I'm sending you all of my prayers and well wishes to you, your family, and your friends wishing you all the best. We've got an absolutely exceptional episode of the show for you today. We have Julie Parker on and we are talking about her new book and process, Snap from Chaos to Calm. I love this episode because it is so practical. You're going to be able to apply the information as you learn it. So we talk about the RAIN acronym. Uh, we talk about the SNAP method. We talk about mirror neurons, exploring depression, rewiring the brain, uh, rewiring the brain, neural pruning, flipping the switch on mental states, the upward spiral. Who is the inner critic? The Tonglen meditation method, gratitude process, the blinks technique, and so much more. This is an absolutely phenomenal episode of the show. I know that you're going to enjoy it. And if you do, please take a moment to leave a review in iTunes. Uh, consider becoming a member at mattbelair.com to get access to exclusive content and to support the show. You can do so for free or by donation. And if you're interested in working with me one-on-one on anything around living your life purpose, peak performance, overcoming limitations, designing an inspiring vision, then hit me up matt at zenathlete.com. I'd love to hear from you and see how I can support you. So that's it. Thank you guys so much. Uh, remember the best way to support the show as always is to do three kind hacks wherever you are in the world today so let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive in wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle fiber of your being with peace joy contentment faith enthusiasm courage and get ready to enjoy this incredible episode with julie potiker Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. If you want to support this show, please go over to mattbelair.com where you can become a member for free or by donation, get access to exclusive content. But the best way to support the show, as always, is to consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is a mindfulness expert, with extensive certifications and teacher training in a variety of tools and methods, including mindful self-compassion. Her new book is Snap, From Chaos to Calm. Through her mindful methods of life program offerings, she helps others bring more peace and wellness into their lives. Her work has been featured by The Oprah Magazine, NBC, CBS, Fox, and many more. Welcome to the show, Julie Potiker. Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to have you on. This is a very timely book. I look through it and I need every single chapter. So I'm excited <laughs> to have you on. And, you know, you've just done so much in the field of, I don't, I don't even know how you say, like personal development, mindfulness, consciousness. Um, so I'd love for you to just share and tell the audience a little bit about you and your background and how you got to writing this book. Well, this is my second book. Um, my first book, Life Falls Apart But You Don't Have To, Mindful Methods for Staying Calm in the Midst of Chaos, is sort of uh, the background of all this and really explains my journey of having so much stress that I was screwing up my words and going to a neurologist and having him prescribe mindfulness-based stress reduction. And then that being my entree into, wow, this is really powerful wellness, 
brain science, positive psychology. I was a psych um, and theater major in college, but I became an attorney as a profession. I, you know, I'm not a therapist. So this whole thing kind of resonated with my background and I thought it was fascinating and I just kept studying and learning and taking trainings. And when mindful self-compassion was invented in 2010, it was so brilliant and transformative. And in 2014, they offered a teacher training. I took it in the first cohort of students who were all going to be teachers of it. There were 50 therapists, me, a as a recovering lawyer and a woman who's a physical therapist. And I think the therapists mostly were doing it not to become mindful self-compassion teachers, but doing it to incorporate in their therapy with their clients. So um, it, it's been an amazing journey. I never would have thought that this is what I would be doing in this stage in my life. I'm, I'm 61 years old. I never imagined, I, this wasn't on my radar basically. And um, the second book, which just came out, it's on Amazon now. I'm really excited about it and happy about it. You can see it behind me. You can see it in front of me. You can see it many places. Um, it happened when I was waking up one morning. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes I get these kind of flashes of insight when I'm just not really awake, but not really asleep. It's kind of that liminal space. And I was thinking about a system for managing difficult emotions. And I'd been teaching RAIN, which is a great acronym. For, and I've been teaching that since I started teaching. Tara Brock didn't, um, didn't create it. Wendy McDonald created it in the 80s. She was a mindfulness teacher. But Tara Brock, so famous and so fantastic, she really popularized it. So I learned it from Tara Brock. And then I started teaching it outside of, of the mindful self-compassion curriculum. I just folded it in because it's so good. And and SNAP is I don't a know, huge wait. improvement on RAIN. Huge. Okay, I got to know what RAIN is first and then, okay. and then tell me what SNAP is. So RAIN is recognize, allow, investigate, not identify. So something's coming up and because you have a mindfulness practice, you know, oh, that's anger, that's fear, that's sadness, whatever it is. You allow it to be there for a little while, which is recognize, then allow, you allow it, but not all day, right? Um, and then investigate what's going on and then not identify, meaning don't run away with the storyline or on uh, nourish came later she changed it like in 2016 i went up and asked her actually because i was uh in front of her face like sitting in the second row at an all-day um workshop that she was teaching and when she hit the end i was like oh that's new and i went and asked her at intermission and it was because of the whole mindful self-compassion movement that nourish was better now, fast forward, however many years, I'm teaching MSC and Mindful Self-Compassion and doing a lot of content creation so that I can fold in other people's stuff, always giving them credit. And I, I came up with SNAP, which is soothing touch, name the emotion, act, and praise. Soothing touch is key because that taps into our mammalian caregiver response and 
helps oxytocin and endorphins get released in our body. So when you're feeling like, ah, the first thing you do is place your hands where you find them soothing, which for you might be your stomach or your face or, or, or holding your biceps. For me, it's my heart. That immediately starts the calming down before you can even get your prefrontal cortex online to make a more skillful response. Then you name it, that's the N, which further calms down your body and gives your prefrontal cortex more time to come online. Oh, that's sadness. Then the act is the penultimate mindful self-compassion question. What do I need to hear right now? So Matt, you would say, like if you were, if you had gotten angry, you would say, this, this is going to pass. All, all emotions pass the good and the bad they just all do you say something wise to yourself because you're a wise dude and then the next part of act is what do i need to do right now and if you want to shift your mood you then pull a tool from your toolbox and the toolbox of course is talked about in snap but it's really heavy in the first book it's your meditation taking a walk in nature, looking out the window, getting a glass of water, using a here and now stone like a, or a mala or a rosary or some object to focus your awareness on so that you're not looping the negative. You know, there's um, mindful walking, mindful eating, listening to music. There's a gazillion things that you could do that you'd practice to shift your mood. And then when you shift your mood, praise. Good job, dude. And if you're a deity person, Matt, I know people that have like tremendous religious conviction and they get solace. I don't, I don't personally have that. I almost wish I do. I'm kind of wistful about it. I mean, I have people in my mindful methods for life Facebook group that are like all about their deity. And I'm happy for them, right? So then the, then the P could be that. You could thank yourself and thank your teachers, and then you could praise Jesus or thank God or really thank Allah or Buddha. So that was a really freaking long answer. Are you, are you with me? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm listening, and I love it because um, my favorite <laughs> thing about the interviewing people and learning is make it practical so that I can use it. I love yeah. the philosophy and I love the stories and we can dive in and acronyms that I can understand and then apply immediately are my favorite things. You know, when I wrote Zen athlete, it was all applicable sports performance. And as far as mental health goes, this is so simple. Um, and I know how powerful it is. And, you know, like one of them is like the pattern interrupt. Like you said, you notice it. So you're training your mind. Most people, uh, you know, they'll get a negative emotion and then they'll just stew in that sucker all day. <laughs> and so if we can shorten it from all day to like eight hours to then four hours to one hour to then almost immediately and just mm -hmm. notice, holy smokes, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I have huge anxiety right now. I'm in, I'm in a fear uh, mode and that's a big common one as well. Mm -hmm. If you have a process or tool that can shift your emotional state then we get into kind of all the law of attraction stuff and how your life flows and the way your mindset is. And so maybe you can just reply to my rant and tell me what you think. 
I think you're right. <laughs> I think your rant's really good. And you know, we're mirroring each other's neurons, right? And out in public, if we weren't on Zoom, I think we'd even mirror better. Although I have read studies that say that we are doing it now. Now I'm trying to look up at the camera and not at you so that my 61 year old eyelids aren't looking down. You know, so that people are like, why doesn't that woman open her eyes? So I'm trying, so I'm trying to look up at the mirror, I mean, up at the camera, but you're down here, right? So every time I look at you to get the feeling of you and, and mirror your neurons, I'm not actually looking at your audience. So anyhow, I'm going back and forth, but that's the thing. We're both feeling positive now. Now, if you were like really mean and nasty right now, I'd catch it. And I'd have to put shields up. And I'd have to work really hard to protect my Zen. And then maybe I could lift you up a little bit. Yeah, I love that you brought up mirror neurons. It's so important because, you know, you think about just a simple analogy when maybe you go to a new place and you just get this dark feeling. It just doesn't feel good in there. Or you meet a new person and you're like, oh man, like I just don't like how that person feels. There, it's, it's what's going on emotionally. It's something in there, you know, that's, that's off, but you can go to the opposite and just, man, I really like that person or this environment is great. You know, I feel amazing in here and it's what people are emanating. We have electromagnetic fields. We know that. And, you know, you're also, your unconscious mind is picking up, uh, I don't even know how to so much more information. I don't know how much, but the percentage so much more, way more like 90%, all these different cues. And then what that does is it translates into a feeling. Cause it's not like, Oh, I just noticed this little subtle eye twitch, which means this person's hiding something or whatever the case is. It's like your body doesn't know that, but your body's like, Hey, like something's off here. Then it's picking up on all these different cues. So I say that because if we can learn how to snap to use your acronym out of fear, which if you look at Hawkins work is one of the lowest vibrational states. If, if you think about being petrified, right? That's a very low emotional state as compared to peace or joy. And there's these subtle ones that we get stuck in myself included. I'm still, I remember, shoot, I suck at this. I've been reading this book, these books since I've been like 15, trying like mindfulness and feel better. And I'm, you know, that's still that's grumpy. That's why they call it a practice. Yeah, totally. It, it's the practice. Yeah. So key. Um, I, I love that you said that. And so um, I would, I'd love for you to just chat a little bit about like, uh, you know, some of the common states and like it, you have them for a, each one in here in your book, you've got it for anger, anxiety, equanimity, grief. Um, but I think anxiety, depression, and fear are the big ones um, that I see that are the most calm that really take you down. And even if we can get it from fear to almost neutral, I feel mm -hmm. like the quality of someone's mood, their day-to-day -day and their life will vastly improve. Oh my God, I love that. So let's, let's start with depression. Just because I used to be clinically depressed. So I can really speak about depression. I also had postpartum depression both times I had kids. So I have a 32 year old and then I have 28 year old twin daughters. So when, um, when I had postpartum depression after Michael was born, I was really surprised because I didn't know what it was and I hadn't read about it. And I was a, I was a lawyer, I was busy and I didn't know what was going on. I went to therapy. 
I didn't end up, I don't think, going on medicine at that time. When the twins were born and I got like literally knocked off my feet with depression, I, I, I was, I remember I was driving up Delmar Heights Road. I don't know why I remember that. And I called my husband just weeping. And I said, I can't go on. I can't go on. And he said, where are you? I said, Delmar Heights Road. He said, pull over. So I pulled into a little strip mall and he called my perinatologist, which is an OBGYN specialty doctor when you have a high risk pregnancy. If you're having more than one baby, which I don't recommend, but you don't get a choice usually um you end up with a special needs doctor so i had this special needs doctor so he made lowell my husband's name is lowell made an emergency appointment he took me drove to the in his car we left my car he took me to the doctor the guy put me on antidepressants right then and there which really helped it was not a great drug we won't get into that but it was what he had in his toolbox to help women who had postpartum depression in 1994. So anyhow, um, I did that. And that really enabled me to lift up the deep end of the pool so that I could use other tools like therapy to help me. Now, fast forward, all those kids are in middle school and I start completely losing it. And that's when the words were garbling. And I go to the neurologist, not thinking it's psychological and boom, it's psychological, it's stress, it's cortisol and adrenaline, right? And I start all this and practicing every day enabled me to rewire my brain which sounds weird, but it won't sound weird to you because you interview people all the time about this stuff. So what wires together fires together, right? So I'm making, every time I take in a positive mental state, because I either notice I'm having one or I create one from a photo or a memory, I'm on purpose using my tools to shift my mood, right? And when I do that and it feels good, if I let it land, enrich it and absorb it, this is the work of Rick Hansen, Buddha's brain, hardwiring happiness, resilient um, neurodharma. I've taken every class from him. He's my mentor. I've been online, in person. I am at this man's feet, basically. He has a new book that came out this week on relationships. So anyway, you enrich it and absorb it so that you don't waste that good mood and then you make a new neural bridge and the more happy bridges you make in your brain which is a julie potaker phrase not a rick hansen phrase i don't know <laughs> if he dig happy bridges but that's how i think about it the more happy bridges you make in your brain you're pruning out the negative so that when your wandering mind is just not engaged in a task that's your default mode network right and you're really really negative in there. It's a bad neighborhood, right? You're depressed, you're anxious, you're whatever. What do you do? You keep taking in the good. And eventually, your default mode network isn't going to be such a negative place. It's negative because we have a negativity bias because we're primates. But you can make your brain happier. Which, which is so powerful.
So you can you can help depressed people and anxious people create an upward spiral. That's the title of Alex Korb's book, Upward Spiral. You can help them create an upward spiral by using these practices. And the practices are simple. You just have to remember to do it. Absolutely. I love all that. You touched on so many important um, ideas and tools in that very short state. The one is, is understanding that we can shift our state of emotion and also going deeper into our default setting and uh, understanding and noticing what that default setting is. And that's where self-awareness starts. It's just noticing what you're thinking and how you're feeling. And then recognizing that you do have a choice to switch those emotions. And I love um, how you talked about absorbing those emotions because uh, if you know, you're it neuro pruning actually happens like the way that yeah. it happens, like these nets. So I teach it in sport all the time where the first time you throw a baseball, it's like maybe your first neural connection, you might throw it to the left or right, but you throw it over and over and over again. Now, all of a sudden you have this neural map. You have a network of how to throw a ball, throw it high, throw it low, and then how to catch and all these nets happen. Well, the same thing happens with your emotional states in your day-to-day -day life. And if you've been doing it or allowing it to happen, which it has to happen automatically, unconsciously not recognizing that you can prune this garden and that you can have an effect on what that neural net is. Once you start recognizing that through self-awareness and applying the tools that you're speaking of over time, that switch, you know, maybe it's like 90% negative, 10% positive. You start weeding 80%, you know, fit, then all of a sudden go 50, 50, and then you, you tip the scale. And it'll be a little bit more positive, a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more resilient, because it's not that negative things don't happen. Um, it's how we respond to them. So maybe you could go a little step further on, okay, so we recognize that depression and anxiety, if we can uh, learn to recognize them and snap our way into a different emotion and learn how to encode that. Um, and I add a visualization to that, right? Things that you want to do, or you could go uh, into your memory banks, but I really like um, being present in the moment and, you know, feeling and encoding those positive memories. Um, but when we go to that next step, you know, I'm curious if you can kind of speak on that when we're trying to, um, I don't know, like just create, like deal with all the challenges that happen, you know, it's like, it's going smooth. And then all of a sudden, because life isn't always easy. It's how we respond to it. Right. It's like, oh, oh. Life isn't, life isn't, <laughs> I don't think life is ever easy. Yeah. I mean, I think life is really full of a lot of suffering and uh, heartache. If you're sensitive, especially, so it is, you said it maybe, maybe a minute ago, it's how we respond. It's how we respond that's gonna make or break us. And that is our resilience. And the fact is, it's that Viktor Frankl quote that I put in my first book. Um, you know, the fact is the pause, we want the pause in between the stimulus in between the match and the flame. I can't remember the exact quote. Everybody uses it. It's it's Mansur Tremaining, Viktor Frankl. So it's that pause, and that's what meditation helps you get, right? So all these things work together to help you slow down enough to give you the power to help yourself. And, you know, people will say, like, That, like you, you know, 
you, somebody said to me, you saved my life. And I'm like, no, you saved your life. You practiced. This stuff isn't rocket science, but it actually is brain science. And if you practice, you can save your life. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up that point again about just practicing, right? Uh, I remember speaking to someone, uh, I did a law summit and oddly enough, it comes back a lot to the Bible. Um, so I got more interested in the Bible cause I've never read it front to back. So I started reading it more. And my friend, he told me, he goes, I'm a practicing Christian. And it kind of like, um, you know, when I think you get groups of people for myself anyway, I, I kind of categorize the whole group and then, you know, it becomes more of a mob, but an individual uh, is a little bit different. So I can take that like work of Bruce Lee, you know, for example, and I could apply that for myself, or I think about the karate kid and it's both martial arts, but you've got Cobra Kai and then you've got Mr. Miyagi, um, you know, so it's how you interpret that. Right. So I think the same thing for spirituality um, is important to recognize. And so, you know, the other thing that I think is important here is the, the um, pause and that's where free will comes in. Right. It's that pause. It's like, uh, I remember one of my buddies, he started listening to my podcast early days is like episode 50. And he goes, you know, you kept using this example where you're driving in traffic and somebody cuts you off and, and you get angry and you'd say, you don't have to get angry. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? You idiot. Of course I have to get angry. Cause he drive to Toronto every day. Right. And he'd always have uh, you know, a challenge in traffic. And then he, he recognized that he actually didn't have to have that immediate response mm-hmm. and that's key. And that's where I think our free will comes in for us to respond and shape our reality, our internal way of being, which also will influence what happens externally or, you know, there's a great quote. Go ahead. If you're not a (laughs) douchebag in public at the checkout line at the grocery store or at, you know, security going at the airport, if you manage your own stuff inside your body, then you will make life more pleasant for all the people, especially people that are workers that are serving you, that then have to serve the next person and the next person and the next person. Like you're actually doing your part to make the world a better place just by being a good egg. And you you have the control over that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think the foundation of well, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. You know, I, I know I work with a lot of different people who want to live their life purpose. They want to, you know, know who they are, why they came here, you know, what's their right path, quote unquote. And, you know, everybody obviously has a unique uh, journey, but I feel like just being a good individual is a start and not good by anyone else's definition, but like, are you managing your own uh, internal state? So do you go around in, you know, peace or anger or frustration or whatever the case is, just learning to clean up your own backyard and your own relationships? That is so powerful because if you look at the work of uh, Dean Radin and the Noetic Science Institute talking about the whole world being vibration and Tesla mm-hmm. talked about it, if that is in fact true, which it could be, I don't really know, um, but it's an interesting theory. If we all were more joyous, we, like I said, we talked about, we feel it in small circumstances. We feel mm-hmm. it in bigger ones. So if enough of us got to the state of more genuine peace, joy, mm-hmm. happiness, we're doing our little bit. And like you said, going to the store, I've heard of stories of people who um, were going to kill themselves and just a little bit of kindness from a stranger, 
change their whole life and their whole day. And that stranger would seek them out just to say, do you know that like, you know, cause I saw them again. I was like, I was in a bad spot, but your kindness, your attention in that moment mm-hmm. changed everything. So that is enough. And then we can work towards what I call, or actually not me is the Buddhist right livelihood. Just, yeah. is it work that helps others? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you on this path. It's beautiful. Really? Yeah. And you know, I feel like the, the simple, side of it is very important, right? Just starting there, um, getting yourself out of the muck. And one of the big challenges I think a lot of people have is self-worth. Uh, do you remember Greg Braden? He talks about the three universal fears. One of them uh, is not being, you, everybody Google it. I, I don't know if I got all these, but it's like not being uh, worthy is definitely one. Uh, fear of abandonment and not being loved. I, I think that I, I usually mess one up, so go check it out. But the worthiness one is a big one. And most people that I've worked with in sport, or even in life, they, they don't like self-love and self-worth is so important. You know, if you have those things, you're going to believe in yourself more and you're going to believe in what you can offer the world. And you're also going to know yourself more. And if we can know ourselves uh, and love ourselves and have high self-worth, we're going to be of value to our community. And I feel like very often it's that lack of self-worth. And so one example would be, I was working with this really talented writer and they hired me to help. And this is actually one of the few times I've failed. I've only failed like a couple of times, but, uh, you know, uh, but we were talking about this thing and it, we only had one call, but I found it right away. Like they wouldn't share any of the writing. They wouldn't share it. I was like, well, what have you, what about a blog? What about the, they just would not share it. And I described how, like, you know, basically because your identity is wrapped around being a good writer, Mm-hmm. You won't show, I could write anything or I could draw a picture or I can play you a terrible song and not be bothered by it because I'm no good. But mm-hmm. if you're starting to do music, if you're starting to do the path of something you enjoy, people become resistant about sharing because their identity is wrapped up in it a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, can you speak on that? Well, there's something that you said that I, that I want to touch on when I'm trying to formulate how to say it. And it's the mindful self-compassion piece in all this. So it's the worthiness. And then if you then if you notice that your inner critic is acting up and being bitchy and saying nasty things to you about you're no good or you're gonna fail or you always screw up or whatever. There's a unit on the inner critic in my first book, and I'm sure I talk about it in Snap. Um, And that all goes to worthiness, right? But the mindful self-compassion piece of that is, can you give yourself compassion that that hurts? So you'd snap that. You'd You'd say in the snap piece, in the A, you'd say, wow, honey, that that's hard to hear. That's hard to feel. What do you need to hear right now? What do you need to do right now? Right? You would acknowledge that and give yourself love for the fact that that's really difficult. And we all have an inner critic, right? And there's work and a curriculum. It comes from internal family systems. That's the work of Dr. Schwartz and the mindful self-compassion people, Chris Germer and Kristen Neff adapted that for the curriculum that I teach that they wrote the mindful self-compassion curriculum. And they both have books and they're amazing teachers and speakers. 
So um, anyway, the point that I'm trying to stay with here is giving yourself love that you feel that way until you make friends with your inner critic and tell your inner critic, you know, I get that you were trying to help me do my best, keep me from being embarrassed, you know, raise the bar, whatever it was that your individual inner critic was doing, but I've got this now. You can stand down. Like there's a chapter in my first book called Thank Your Inner Bitch that takes people through the exercises of how to do that. So it's not just worthiness, self-work. I mean, I'm sure you know the work of Brene Brown. She's like magnificent on this topic. Um, and I've taken her Living Brave Semester, which was a combination of two of her books. And her first book, I cite really heavily in, in my first book. So anyway, all these great teachers. Um, but it's not just your self-esteem, it's self-compassion that's going to feel good. Because then even if you fail, you're not be, you're not, I'm not comparing myself to Matt. I'm not comparing myself to my, my body in a bikini at age 20 when I'm a 61-year-old woman or other women in you know, magazines. Do you see where I'm coming from? Or if I do compare myself, I say, oh, sweetheart, that hurts. Don't do that because you're, you're fabulous and you have good content and you're putting out love in the world and you're trying to help people. Yeah. I, I think the compassion shift is such a key. You know, rather than getting self-worth, can you just be compassionate to yourself? And I don't know if it's a Buddha quote, but it says something along the lines that um, no one as much as you deserves your own love and compassion. No one uh, exactly yeah, more than you, you know, as, as anyone else goes, you know, deserves your love and compassion. It's funny because people, I say, can you give it to your mother? Can you give it to your child? Can you give it to your friend? Like infinitely, you know what I mean? Without question. And when it comes to ourselves, it seems like it's so challenging and the compassion piece just makes it easier rather than going to worth or esteem, you know, Matt, like you're, I don't know, the worthiest, best guy ever. I'm like, okay, well, that sounds ridiculous, but but if I, if I can be compassionate to myself when I'm basically boot stomping myself in my mind, um, then that's a huge shift. And I love this story from Wayne Dyer because it always cracks me up. And he said he was playing tennis with his buddy and his buddy messed up a shot. And he said, ah, you idiot. And Wayne goes, Hey, you don't talk to my friend like that. This friend kind of looks at him and he just starts laughing. I just, I love that so much because it's so funny and we wouldn't, well, most of us, I, I hope, wouldn't allow people to speak exactly. to us like that, right? You wouldn't have any friends if you talked to other people like you talked to yourself. You wouldn't. People are so mean to themselves. You know, yeah. and I, I use yeah. this one example, you being a sports guy, so I could relate to this because I'm sure you have clients that are like this. I. I have an inner critic that says, get your lazy, fat ass up off the couch. That's not nice. But my compassionate voice would say, sweetheart, I want you to exercise because I love you. 
And I know that health and wellness is important to you and you'll feel better if you exercise. So give it a shot today. I mean, how much better is that? It's yeah, it's so much better. And as you're saying this, what I reminded of is a tool that I teach sometimes is just to kind of write down some of these things that happen often. So you do a day review, right? You'll notice that these things are finite, like whether they're emotions. Okay. So you go through days like, whoa, I'm struggling with anxiety mostly, or I'm stuck with fear. Or when this happens, that's when I really, you know, shit kick myself. <laughs> so you'll notice that it's, it's not infinite. It's, it's what will happen is normally it's patterns, and if you can become aware of those patterns, now you can apply a tool. And by applying those tools, it is literally hardwiring and changing your brain to create different emotional states, which is obviously a different way to live and experience life. It is so powerful, so simple. And there's so much stuff out there and mindfulness and the new technologies and, and all this kind of stuff, but it can be that basic. These teachings are thousands of years old in mindfulness from, you know, different cultures, different walks of life. They're the, they're the same thing. Uh, you know, when I wrote Zen athlete, it's just like the mental game of sport, which I learned from martial arts, but it's just mind, body, spirit. It's, it's not that complicated. They're still teaching the same things because they work, but the big uh, key is, do you practice it? Do you remember to practice it? How do you not get lost in all the distractions of life, right? That will pull you down this negative spiral. Um, you know, you know, so I think people even with like who are diff, uh, struggle with addiction and things like that, right? It's this negative spiral versus choosing the positive habits. Do you want to? I have on? a I have a tip about how to remember to remember. Share, please. I hand out those little um, those little stickers that are circles from you know the Staples office supply store. They're just little colored circles, and I have people put them on their laptop, their monitor, their bathroom mirror, their cell phone, their um, their dashboard on their car. And when they see that circle, it's a reminder to pause. So remember easy. to remember. It's easy. I mean, these things, I taught, a, I developed a curriculum for these college kids during the pandemic at this small college in Ohio. And um, I had to snail mail the students, the little circles, a here and now stone, you know, I, everything else, the class was on Zoom and I was typing up the teacher notes at the end of the class, but I, I, I had to snail mail them the stickers because I wanted them to have them. And it really helped them. The one girl put them right on, next to the hook in her dorm room where her key hangs just so she would remember and it worked yeah it's it's simple it's funny because i'm reminded of one of the first things that i tried to do and it was uh i was going to be mindful when i had to use the washroom and i was going to be mindful when i ate and those are the two things i just knew that i had to do all the time and so that was my reminder you could also use your phone if you want which you know could set a couple hours just to check into your emotional state mm -hmm. um so are these little checks that you can do i'd love to chat a little bit more about the inner critic i know we touched on it but for someone like, how do you describe the inner critic and what are your key points to making a positive relationship with that 
inner voice? And do you think it gets to the point where, you know, I love the idea of having my inner critic being my number one fan, my biggest, my most compassionate voice. And it would be great if I could switch the programming to that. But as you said, we have a mammalian brain and it's designed to keep us safe. And it's just the way that it processes everything. So maybe that's the way it's meant to be. And we just have to mitigate that with our consciousness. So I, so that's a really, really good question. And I think that if I, if I was Dan Siegel or Rick Hansen, I'd give you a very complete answer um, about interpersonal neurobiology and attachment styles. And I don't want to do that because it's not my expertise. I can teach the inner critic light curriculum really well from the mindful self-compassion curriculum where people determine who the voice is where it's from it's it's universally the voice of an early child uh, care person not always the mother oftentimes the mother <clears throat> another thing that i should put in here that is important is if you have suffered extreme abuse and neglect to not even do this exercise because there won't be any value in this inner critic but if you've had just the regular uh <laughs> suffering <laughs> at the hands of um of a normal normal <clears throat> parent who's overworked and doing the best they can but not always um but sometimes traumatizing you, right? Uh, then you can figure out who the voice is. In my case, it was my mom. <clears throat> and then you can find your compassionate voice by writing a letter on the very same issue to your dearest friend. So if you don't know what the compassionate voice in your head sounds like, you have it when you're talking to somebody that you really care about. So you take that same issue that you wrote down already and you speak to it like it's your best friend. And then you realize that you can turn that around with practice and do that to yourself. So I can, I can just flip in it. I can flip into my compassionate voice 15 times a day if I need to. And some days I need to. <laughs> That's why they call it a practice. Yeah. Well, I, I love that simple explanation. And and I think, again, you, you just hit on the importance of the practice of it. Just noticing. That is step one. If you can't notice it, then it's just going to run the patterns. And our neural network and our mind is like a slide of these neural networks that once it's fired off, it's going to keep going until you notice and you choose to shut it off and you shared some good techniques before you know go for a walk uh, one simple one i like is just do three deep breaths you can do more uh, just notice just stop and just take in the deepest breath you can but longer on the exhale please okay because i want your heart rate and your blood pressure to come down right got it okay. i just take in three big suckers both slow yeah <laughs> breathe out longer if you're activated because you will, you will regulate your nervous system. 
What about uh, I do my nose because that's what I was taught through sport. I've heard different things. Do you do you have a preference if you do? I honestly don't think it matters. I know there's some fantastic yoga breathing that I always get confused where it's this and then it's this or it's the thumb and then it's the other thumb and you're in and you're out. I honestly think a lot of these things are just hacks Mm. so that you stop the recursive loop of worrying and ruminating. Like I love the ones that they teach kids. Did you ever see that? Like you're breathing, they do one hand with the other hand, you're breathing in, you're breathing out, you're breathing in, you're breathing out, you're breathing in. And they Mm. trace their one hand with their other finger. And Mm. I think it's just a great kind of hack really to do more than only breathing it's like you're breathing you're counting you're offloading some of your cognition to your body it's brilliant mm-hmm. yeah it's the that, go ahead that's why snap why i just i didn't mean to interrupt you i got excited that's why snap has a somatic component that i love so that when i teach it i'm having people snap their fingers and then i'm having them do the motions so it's mm. soothing touch, name the emotion, act and praise. It's like a dance. Mm-hmm. And when I'm, I have a launch next week for the book and I'm going to have people stand up and do it, turn to the right and do it, turn, uh, do it again, face forward, turn to the left and do it, do it again, face forward, sit down and do it. Like I'm going to do a whole thing where I'm going to have people have some synchrony in their bodies to get the learning in a different, cooler way. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's so neat. Yeah, it reminds me of a trigger in neurolinguistic programming where you want to help someone get into flow state. Uh, what you're doing is you're using an external stimulus to create an internal response. Um, and you're kind of coding this thing and it also will make it easier. So it becomes a practice. It becomes something that your body integrates and that body integration will change your emotional state. So I use this all the time for athletes who wanted to go in the flow state, um, you know, or other things. This is, it's, it's the same idea. Um, and so if we can, learn how to use these processes to move throughout our days in peace. Mm-hmm. I, even, even above 50% peace for most people, that's not in fear, anxiety, you know, loathing, shame, guilt, all these different things. If you could just get to neutral most of the day, I feel like that's a win for a great majority of the population. And then you can, you can bring yourself up into joy and higher states more often as well. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's what gets us closer to our natural way of being and uh, the creator. So actually I'll, I'll, I'll ask this because as I'm saying that, I'm like, okay, well, what brings me down? <laughs> what, what brings, what me brings down? you up? Yeah. Well, let me talk about what brings me down, <laughs> but I do. Yes. Yeah, so bring me up is important, but like, I think about, okay. So often people are worried about um, the external state of the world. That's been happening the last couple of years. There's more concern with the external stuff that we're viewing, stuff things going on. So it creates concern. And so how do you teach people to manage that? Be like, okay, you know, I'm thinking positively for my family and for the kids. And I want to do this positive, the podcast, but then I see, holy, like those are some red flags and that's kind of dangerous. So how do I balance that to live in peace, but not ignore some of the challenges that might be going on? It's a good question. You can see, I have my hand on my heart already. So I don't ignore all the completely horrible, terrifying things that go on on our planet from climate change to mass shootings to 
hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, mudslides, fires, uh, systemic racism. I mean, it's a shit show what goes on, right? So I'm not bypassing any of that. I'm just managing it. So when, when something's really bad to me, I do a practice that's ancient called Tanglen. And I just described this on an interview the other day on a radio interview. <clears throat> and I don't know if I explained it well, but I do explain it in my book. In my book, I use the English translation. It's the receiving sending meditation. And um, Pema Chodron, who's an unbelievable Buddhist scholar and teacher, has many, many uh, YouTubes on this, as well as a book on this. I also, in my free podcast, Balance Mind with Julie Potiker, have Tonglen meditations. In this meditation, you're actually taking in the suffering. You're taking it in. You're allowing your heart to break. You're taking it in on the inhale. And then you are using your body and your mind to morph it into peace on your exhale. So you're taking in the suffering. I've done it just weeping. And by the end of the meditation, <clears throat> I am breathing out peace, love, light, ease. I mean, I'm, you know, and, and, and she never says this and I've never read this, but I have a suspicion that the reason it does work is because you're doing something. You're not just wallowing because you can't control this stuff. You can't control that we have too many guns in the United States of America and that the NRA is too powerful and that the cat's out of the bag and you can't put it back in. And it makes you feel impotent that you can't send your kids to school knowing for sure that they're gonna be safe. I mean, that's completely terrifying. But if I allowed that to terrify me to the extent at which somebody sensitive like me could be terrified, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get out of bed. And that's not the person I want to be, being helpful. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that. It reminds me of being in Nepal and I went to, uh, I forget what the lake was called, and then you had to walk up a big hike. And there's a tower and there's a couple of monks sitting there. And I asked someone I was with, uh, well, one of the monks, and I said, what, what are they, what are they reciting? Right. And um, basically they were, they sit there their entire life, essentially uh, doing world peace. And this is one of the meditations mm -hmm. that they taught me. And one of the things I've heard in the podcast, it's that you're transmuting that negative energy or feeling or observation in the world that that you're you're feeling and so what what it allows you to do is pass through so there's some interesting work out there that talks about if you have uh, trauma you could store it in the body and the same thing mm -hmm. could go on micro levels depending on how uh, traumatic the fear or the challenge is that you hold it within the body and what this allows it to do is transmute another technique that i heard that it comes from some sort of mindfulness practice is to simply observe it in the body. So you think about the thing that's really challenging you, that's scaring you, that's uh, causing you anxiety and fear. And as you sit with that, you just observe it in the body and just follow it around through mm -hmm. mindfulness meditation. And body scan. It goes. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then eventually over time, sometimes a minute, sometimes maybe 20 minutes, depending, maybe you have to do it again, uh, but it transmutes and it's an, it's a way to take action at the very least and also recognize uh, something um, that that is affecting you in your emotional mm-hmm. state, into your spiritual state uh, and doing something about it, like you said. So I appreciate that uh, practice. Can I, can I ask you something though? Um, if it's trauma, actual trauma, I would hope that anybody listening would seek out somebody who's a trauma therapist to help them. Hmm. Cause trauma is really sticky. Yeah, I've had a lot of guests on that speak about trauma. I know that there's a lot of different techniques. I think that there are varying degrees in people who claim to be experts in many fields. I can uh, tell you I'm a I'm an advanced trauma sensitive mindfulness teacher and I wouldn't dream of helping someone with their trauma. Like they need to be in the hands of a skilled psychotherapist that specializes in trauma and hopefully in that specific trauma, because trauma is really tough and it does show up in your body. Yeah. And it can create, it it can create disease. Um, So, you know, I know there, there, each individual has a different process. My friend, Mark England uh, took people through a lot of process with, with trauma and did very, very well. And there are certain things he wouldn't touch because mm-hmm. it was too intense. Right. Uh, but we can provide those tools. And I and I see the mindfulness and spirituality and all these different tools. Some of them are more effective. Some of them are less effective. But it also is different for each individual. And so if you've got a toolkit of processes that you can bring people through. So right now, you're sharing some tools and processes um, that people can go through and hopefully help them on their path to healing. And if they want to seek out a uh, professional who's got those skills that can be incredibly helpful and yeah. expedite the process. Exactly. Um, you know, you know, like you said in the beginning, it's like not the beginning, but you're talking about like uh, you're, you're running the mill trauma. <laughs> not like the I super. <laughs> a, um, I'm fit. I finish. I become a certified peer to peer grief educator next week. And um, it's with David Kessler and he has all these um, special guests come and teach us things. This has been a 12 week class that's been really rewarding and rich. He's an excellent teacher. Um, and one of the one of the guest presenters was a grief yoga. And I thought that's so cool. And this dude had all kinds of moves to do with your body that moved energy out. So that if you had a client that was suffering trauma, you could help them get it out of their body. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting ones. When I was training with the Shaolin monks in China, they had a system for almost everything. And a lot of it was very physical. Uh, Their map of the energetic system of the body was completely nuts. And they had some old 
teachings and technologies or ways of being that were just absolutely mind blowing. Um, so there, there is tools out there. So I, I appreciate you sharing how serious that can be um, and just getting into the right hands because, you know, I've seen, you know, with plant medicine, it's become a little bit more popular. I've had guests that are, you know, I've talked to shamans. I had uh, Native American elders as teachers, a uh, variety of different views on using that tool. And mm-hmm. what I found is that there were just, you needed to be mindful of who that right person was for you. Exactly. You know, and so finding and doing that research, find that right person for you that resonates with. And if they don't, that's okay. Just I find think someone that's, else. I think that would be called wise discernment, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's important too, because I've heard some, you know, the spectrum of scales of I had this and this thing happened. I'm like, oh, that's nuts. Um, well, you know, this has been awesome. I'd love to uh, end it in like a very positive note. So with your book, I, I love the chapters, uh, the snap system and tool is phenomenal. It's simple. It will work and it just requires practice. You can cite that in the many books that you've talked about in this podcast from your research. So I can tell from all the shows that I've done and study that I've done that it does work if you choose to practice it. So is there anything that you wish that we had chatted about or that you want to leave the listeners with before we close the show? Yes. Perfect. Believe it or not. We didn't actually talk about gratitude. Oh, yeah. And that's foundational. So everybody needs to keep a gratitude practice every day. It doesn't matter what the gratitude practice is. I The one that I do is I write down what did I enjoy today and what am I grateful for every day, just in a, you know, like in a spiral notebook. Um, but last week... I met with two young guys on Zoom that are about your age that are very cool. And they just created an app called Gratitude Plus. It's brand new. And why I think it's cool is that it has a community component. So it's not just you writing into your phone what you were grateful for that day. And by the way, if you don't like that prompt, there's five or six other or eight or 10 other questions you can answer. But there's also affirmations in there. There's reminders in there. And you can make a circle, a gratitude circle with your family, your friends, your neighbors, or you can just go on the public feed. And I'm just noodling around to help these guys because I think it's really hopeful that young people are doing stuff like this in the world. So I'm not taking a financial anything. I just said I'd love to help. So um, so I'm noodling around to see how it feels. And I noticed yesterday when I read other people's gratitudes. Oh my God! There goes my there goes my window shade. Um, I noticed yesterday when I read other people's gratitudes that I got a sense of boost. I got a feeling of well being. Like, how cool is that? So I recommend people noodle around with this. It's called Gratitude Plus. Um, The two guys I met with, um, David Schaefer, he created it. And it's really kind of sad and sweet how, how he came to it. He was already in that field. He lost his mom. She died. He didn't lose her. She was dead. She died. And he was suffering grief. And it was... You know, during the lockdown, she passed away before the lockdown, but then the world shut down and he he couldn't find something online that was comforting. And so he created it. 
So this is him in the words of the Grief Educator Program with David Kessler, turning pain into purpose. This is a beautiful way of him turning pain into purpose, which is how I started the Balanced Mind Meditation Center. I did it in memory of my mom. Six months after my mom passed, which is almost seven years ago now, I opened the Balanced Mind Meditation Center in her memory. So these are like gratitude is really woven into all this wellness. I'm glad you brought that up. I truly believe that gratitude is a very important practice. And I wanted to add on um, when you spoke earlier about the, I, I don't know what you call it, but like the embrace, how, how would we go through that practice, but kind of internalize or, you know, magnify the emotional state. And so what I learned from my study in I don't know, sports psychology, mindfulness, conscious, all the, all the things, their suggestion is to make the feeling as real as possible and magnify it. So in sport, it's very simple. If I'm trying to do a trick, I want to feel exactly what that trick is like. And I also want to magnify that feeling. Also the joy of what it will feel like to finally do that thing. And what you're doing is encoding that in the body when we're, you know, creating these mirror neurons or not mirror neurons, but the neural pruning that we want to activate. Well, it is, it is mirror neurons and then those prune. But how I teach it is, that's a beautiful sunset. What's for dinner? No, that's a beautiful sunset. Like, wow, look at those colors and just really take it in. Boom, you just made a new neural bridge. I love it. Yeah, because I feel like with the gratitude journal, some people will will... I think it's a, an important practice. I actually have that exact practice and I think the prompts are good. So um, seeing what these guys are doing with their prompts would be another tool, which would be great. And just making sure it doesn't go stale. So if I, once I write them down, I'll read them out loud and then really just embrace the feeling, you know, and try to uh, amplify that feeling, not just go through the motions and write it. And, you know, I think that's a very powerful thing to do because you're, you're directing your consciousness towards what you prefer and not just letting the default kind of take your consciousness wherever it might. So that's have, enrich, absorb. That's the three. This is Rick Hansen, experience dependent neuroplasticity. I happen to be an experience dependent neuroplasticity teacher. So have it, enrich it, absorb it. That's, and then Link it is the last one. That's his heel acronym. You don't have to link it. Have it and Richard absorb it. What's the link it part? It's the one I don't know. Link it is <clears throat> go back and forth in your mind and heart and body with the negative, the positive, the negative, the positive, the negative, the positive, so that you supplant the negative with the positive. Oh, I'm going to be interested for you to try that and let me know how it goes. I uh, did something very similar. It, 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 well, I would, it was called blinks, but basically the idea is you go into your memory <laughs> and you figure out what the challenge was and what you need for that challenge for the, um, the opposite side. Right. So, you know, if you had fear, you would need courage or bravery or whatever you go into a bravery memory, you amplify the absolute, uh, 
amplify that as much as you can and then go back to that memory, right? And then go back and amplify it again. And so what it does is apparently uh, lessen that charge or that neural connection. So something very, very exactly. similar, basically the same thing. It's the same. Yeah. Awesome. It's the same. And that's, that's really explained beautifully in his hardwiring happiness book. And also um, he's got the foundations of well-being class um, on Zoom. And he goes into it in neurodharma too. And his first thing, taking in the good, was, you know, I don't know how, I don't know when that book, decades ago when that book was published. Wow. Anyway, we could talk all day, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah. See, that's why they go a little bit longer. I told you. <laughs> well, you this, has been, this, is, uh, this has been great. You shared such uh, powerful information right from the beginning and it's practical. That's my favorite thing. It's something that people can listen to. They can apply immediately and see results. And we go back just to the practice piece, right? The more you practice, the more you're going to get out of it. And just knowing that there is a path to rewire your brain to what you prefer and not just let it run rampant and do whatever it wants because uh, who knows what will happen then. Uh, but right. We're powerful. <laughs> Let's use our power. A hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you more about your work? If they want to pick up the book, where do they go? Okay. So my website has everything. Mindful methods for life. I know it's a mouthful, but <clears throat> in 2014, I couldn't get a different domain name that I wanted. So it's long. Mindful methods for life. My book's on Amazon, or you could just Google Julie Potiker and people will find it. If they can't remember any of that, they could Google Julie Potiker. But if they're in the website, they'll see my first book, my second book, the three podcasts. They'll see all my teacher's books and every book that I think would be helpful because it was helpful to me, plus all those people's websites. And they'll see blogs going back to 2014 plus about three or 400 interviews that I've done in the last couple of years. Amazing. Well, you've been in the space for a long time. I appreciate all the effort and the work and the study and the sharing. I appreciate uh, you. I uh, appreciate that. <laughs> well, we'll end with gratitude. So uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and the work you do and appreciate everybody for watching. Thank you. All right. See you later. Bye guys. Stay. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Julie Potiker. I hope that you enjoyed that show. And if you did, you'll consider sharing it far and wide. We've got some exceptional episodes of the show about to drop, so stay tuned. If you want to support this program, please consider leaving a review. Uh, join the email list. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. I love hearing from you guys and getting back to you. I'm also getting a little bit more active on Twitter and other social media. So, uh, but the best way to get a hold of me is definitely through email, matt at zenathlete.com and joining that email list. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence as we close this show. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, faith, courage, power, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.